Welcome back to Breaking the Fourth Wall, where we engage in stimulating conversations about ways that we can promote positive change in musical theater. This episode, we're going to be diving into lessons learned, question mark, (laughs) exclamation point, maybe period, (laughs) and really dive into how we are feeling about musical theater after this last year of 2020. And if we're going to move forward, how we're going to move forward and what we have learned about this past time in our industry. Yeah, this is a fantastic topic. So many of us have gone through so much deep personal reflection about our craft, how we've been uh, participant in the craft. And I think it's really important to open up a dialogue about who are we in this uh, after 2020 and, and really getting into where we want to be as an artist. And if that's actually going to happen, is it happening? Mm-hmm. And how can we make that change? And th- we talk about this, this entire podcast is wrapped around the idea of making change in musical theater and that has really come to light this past year and how can we move forward and make those changes actually happen when broadway does return tim you want to start us off though today with our puzzler of course we couldn't stop we had to, we had to keep going with the puzzler i love the puzzlers the puzzler. my favorite little moment of our podcast and everybody always loves the they, they said that was their favorite part of our last season so we're keeping that love it so here's today's puzzler What Puerto Rican American entertainer, performer, producer, and club owner starred in the 1939 musical Too Many Girls opposite Desi Arnaz? And I'll give you an additional hint. The music was written by Richard Rogers, and the lyrics are written by Lorenz Hart. Exciting. I can't wait to talk about that at the end. That's right. We'll circle back (laughs) at the very end of this discussion, and we will answer that together. Perfect. So, Tim, let's start off with how how are you feeling with musical theater right now what lessons have you even learned in this industry the past year with you know neither of us have been performing not directing we're not being able to see shows what are the lessons that you have learned gosh so many i have uh really spent this year deep in self-reflection i think that's probably the biggest thing that i'm going to be taking away from the last year, and as we start to see glimmers of light and uh, and hope as far as theater reopening uh, globally, um, something that I've been really focused on in terms of my energy, not only as a pedagogist, but as a director and as an artist, is how have I been complicit and what am I doing to eradicate that complicity moving forward to making sure that I'm creating as equitable space for my students to thrive in the theater arts, but also looking at who I'm surrounding myself with uh, and what kind of conversations do I want to participate in moving forward. And I've really, really analyzed that about myself and I've come to some major realizations about who I am and what I want, what kind of artist I want to be moving forward. And I think that's something that we can all relate to. We've all had a lot of time to think, (laughs) (laughs) a lot of time to read, a lot of time to reflect. And as much as we talk about how amazing it is to reflect and think about what has happened in the past, how can I move forward? What actions are you going to take moving forward in this next in this next year when theater starts to open you start to you know direct work with organizations develop new initiatives what are some steps some actionable steps that you're even taking right now the first one is in in the area of academics i'm going to start with there because i'm i consider myself an educator it's a major part of who i am is looking at the curriculum and the 
pedagogical practices and and really looking at those lens through an anti-racist lens making sure that every student that comes into the room regardless of their background the identity is seen is heard and is reflected in the work that they are performing and then they have a voice they have an equal voice in the conversation about how their craft is created and developed and i think that's something we we talk about you know because we are in the same house every day (laughs) all day all week a lot lately and we're both working from home and it's something that we've really been working on even together with the way that we teach, the way that we coach, especially in musical theater being something that has really been driven by a Eurocentric lens. And more importantly, we need to look at the content that we have been teaching in the past and acknowledge that that content may have very well been causing harm and trauma to our students, specifically our students of color. And I really believe that we need to find new texts new resources to provide our students that allow them to see themselves being reflected in the history of the American musical. Absolutely. You know, this is something I've been talking about for the past year regarding textbooks. When I was teaching uh, last year at UCI and I was teaching the history of musical theater classes, I was very aware of the textbooks and the resources that I was using. And I started to look at them and go, they were all written by white men. Mm -hmm. And that really started to affect me as a female identifying artist. And so I started to look and dig and they're out there, but it's very much overwhelming being written by white men. And that really affected me. I actually started this musical theater books list. I'll link it in the show notes down below, but it is a space and a reference list. It's public. Anybody can add to it where it is a curated list of musical theater textbooks, not just textbooks, but just books that Mm -hmm. are written to help folks in the industry that are all authors from the global community that are female identifying folks because we need to hear those stories and they're just not shown much in our classrooms. And so I I absolutely agree with you. And I think it's got to go back to who's telling the stories. How can we broaden that, that um, idea of, 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 of knowledge? So it's not just by, you know, one type of person. Yes. And looking at the content that we are providing our students and asking ourselves, is this content truly being delivered through an anti-racist lens? I know that's going to be said a lot this season because it is very important. It is something that I value tremendously. You would be amazed how much work I had to go through over this break preparing for our early Broadway musical theater styles class to find material that represents the global community. And it really made me upset in that process of discovering those kinds of resources and material because one, I had to work so hard to find it. Two, most of the material that's being written about the global community is written by People not from, People the, global not from the global community. <laughs> yes, uh, you know, and and I'm sure one of these one of these episodes we're going to get into a, uh, a conversation about the problematic nature of golden age musicals, you sure. know, and all that. But it's amazing how hard you have to look to find substantive material uh, about the global community and their and their contributions to musical theater. I have found it. And, and, uh, that was, it was such confidence. <laughs> yes, I have. I, I've worked very hard at least to find the nuggets, the really, uh, fruitful nuggets 
of these contributions. But what I'm really excited to hear about from my colleagues and friends in the uh, academic sphere and in the industry is there is uh, a major movement to reclaim the narrative that has been taken from them. And so I really believe as a lesson learned that many performers and artists of color and educators of color specifically, advocates, anti people doing the anti-racist work are now leading a charge to rewrite the texts and bring their stories and their narratives back into the fabric of the American musical because it's been taken from them. Yes. Uh, I love that thought. Thank you for sharing that. Mm -hmm. Uh, Let's flip that on the other side for a second now. And let's talk about some lessons that we've learned, not just from academics, Mm -hmm. but on the other side as performers, as artists, as folks that are, you know, always in the regional theater circuit and watching the Broadway circuit and invest in those communities. Are we going to have a lesson learned where we now see more content? And I'm not just talking about Broadway because, you know, most of my career is, is, is professional regional theater right now. Are we going to see this lesson learned of focusing on more diversity, more diverse stories, and more people of color and different people represented on stage in our actual regional theaters and on Broadway? It's a fantastic question. And I actually had this brought up this question with my students a couple of weeks ago. And we engaged in a very, very wonderful discussion about this. And what I told them and what I've discovered is it's not really the director that has the responsibility. Yes, the choreographer, the MD, the cast. More importantly, the producers have to be the ones, the ones that actually own the productions, that finance the the money, the ones that are in power. The people with the money. Mm-hmm. That's where it starts. And, and I believe until we actually see more diverse perspectives, more diverse voices at the highest levels of our industry, we're not going to see that change happen. And it really leaves me a little bit pessimistic because for everything that we have been through in the last year... I don't know. I don't know. And I'm and I'm 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 hoping that at least these major producers at the regional level and the professional level are really really doing the homework and really doing the research and not just tokenizing uh bringing, you know, that one um artist of color onto the stage in a sea of of white cast uh just to say that they've checked off their diversity list. That's not what we're talking about. We're actually talking about a celebration of that beautiful mosaic that is our global community and celebrating that on stage. And I, I, I'm, I'm hoping that we see this change, but I don't know if it's going to happen or not. I think what's going to be really a, a game changer is when we start to see these seasons being announced because mm-hmm. they're not being announced yet because we're still trying to wait and see when everything's going to be opening up. But when folks are picking their seasons, when they're casting, when they're p- picking their creative team, are we going to see the difference that we have been advocating for talking about you know committees organizations everybody has been discussing this and that is the only way that it's going to change if it changes from the top down Mm -hmm. and you know what i really feel like it is time for folks out there to say hey i think i'm going to step aside because i am someone that has been represented quite often Mm -hmm. um i am a i am a, a white person i'm but i'm a female but folks that are in power that can say, you know what, I am going to step aside and let 
somebody else come up and take my position or stand with me to make that change. Because if it doesn't start from the top down, how are we ever going to tell young folks and students and and anybody else and professionals and people even like us that are screaming, banging on the doors going, let me, please, 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 please. It's never going to change unless they start to step aside. And I know that I know that sound, might sound a little harsh, but that's what does need to happen now. Well, and the first challenge is humility. And I think what you just addressed addresses the probably the largest problem we have in this country, which I think if you go to its root and its essence, when we talk about January 6th, the, the riots on the Capitol, the domestic terrorism that took a place on our, our nation's capital, whether it be the elections, whether it be our industry, whether it be all of the facets of our, our country, Ultimately, I think a lot of the issue that we are having as people in this country has to do with power dynamics and um, and a certain populace of people's inability to relinquish power or accept the idea that this country is becoming more and more diverse every single day. And we we can either celebrate that and and bring that onto the stage I remember uh, Andre DeShield said something uh, in his Tony speech way back when he won Hadestown. He just said, you know, he longed for the day when he could actually walk onto the stage and see what he sees in the street reflected on the stage. And I think what seems so normal and so practical and so easy to do still remains so difficult for those in power to actually initiate. Well, and I think another another side of it is that fear of losing power, mm-hmm. that fear of not being able to control um, what people, some people are used to controlling. It is going to help our industry and it's going to lift folks up so much more. And this industry up is if those folks are just kindly asked to please be a part of this movement, please be a part of this movement. We're asking. And I know that when well, when you and I were watching the um, final, you know, votes tallied oh, for the election. this last election and, and Kamala, you know, was going to be the first female that we see. I think it was such an overwhelming feeling. I was like in the, you were like on the couch crying and I was like in the back <laughs> and I was like, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. But it is, I don't think people understand if you are not from the global community or you are not you know, a man, what it feels like to see yourself represented and to see a female in power to me is so moving because I'm seeing myself represented. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what we need to see in our industry. I can only tell you my entire career where I have worked with a female director um, or someone that is just not identifying as male only two times in my entire career, no, I take that back, three times, three times in my entire career of almost 40 years of performing, have I ever done that? Mm-hmm. And most of the time, everybody else around them are, are, are men. And so it's got to change because if we're not seeing ourselves reflected, then how are we ever going to have the feeling that, yes, I can be anything, I can be anyone. And I just, I, I just hope that folks listening to this right now if you are a woman, if you identify in the community as anything other than what is predominantly seen, that you keep pounding the pavement, that you keep standing up, that even if someone says to you, 
you know, you're not, you're never going to do this. You're not the right type. You're mm-hmm. not, I hate that word type. And we t- well, that'll be a whole other episode, <laughs> yeah. right? But you know, you're not generally the person that's going to get cast or, you know, you, you need to change the way you look or the way that you act or the way that you sound because you don't sound like, you know, what we think you should sound in musical theater. You stay true to yourself and keep going so that we can start to see the change happen because it's going to start with us. Also, I want to challenge young young people who are interested in pursuing the arts to not look just at acting and production design as the only avenue get into the get exploring the avenue of producing work of actually being at the head of the table especially as a person of color Uh, that is really the first avenue where you're where you can really see the change be facilitated that you want to see in your casting processes in your creative teams you know, learn about what it means to be a casting director or a cast or an agent, because uh, there you can wield a lot of power for good. What's been really exciting the past year is the idea that everybody is starting to create these virtual productions mm-hmm. and, you know, using Zoom and just creating it. I have tons of clients and students and even colleagues and friends that are, you know, I'm doing this virtual production, you know, watch it or I'm I'm posting my own music online or I'm singing stuff online or whatever it is. I hope that that lesson that you can do, you can produce something from your own home, that that continues. Oh, absolutely. I think the virtual space is not going away. I think if there's any one really positive thing that came out of this whole 2020 our early 2021 was how we use virtual space in creating art. And I really think that we are going to continue this. And I think this can have wonderful positive ramifications for the, for the audition process. Uh, we were talking about this really casually uh, a couple weeks ago about how daunting it was to get up at five in the morning at New York city oh and to gosh. pound the pavement, get up, <laughs> look performance ready, and then stand in the winter, stand outside of Ripley Greer or Chelsea studios and just wait for hours on end. Right. Remember the unofficial list you'd sign it and then possibly gets kept or possibly gets thrown away. Oh, non-union work. <laughs> what if there was a virtual queue? Yes. Where you did, where you, you actually showed up, um, like an appointment. Uh, well, so we have or, that for equity, right? right, right. But for non-union, it's kind of like just thrown to the wind. But why has it gotten to that place where non-union members are are treated so poorly? Poorly, you know. <laughs> they're they're people, they're artists, they're human beings, you know. Just because you have an equity card doesn't mean that you are superior. It just means that you're part of a union. But I think that we need to look at that and we need to think about, you know, the the, the grueling nature of what it means to stand outside of an audition room for five hours at a time. It's not great for your physical health, your vocal health, your mental and, health. And your mental health. And I think that is going, I hope that is one lesson that is taken away from this. And a lot of casting directors that I've kind of chatted with have been mentioning that, yeah, this is going to help everyone, not just on the other end, like as an auditioner or the artist, but for the casting directors, for the team to be able to kind of, have a way to filter and cycle through people that maybe not even can attend an Mm -hmm. audition, right? Mm -hmm. That can't afford to get to New York, but want to, you know, be in the first couple of passes. And then if you're really interested, then I'll make that flight out. Then I'll, I'll put that time and money into it. I think that is going to definitely stay. And I hope it does because it would solve a lot of problems to just, logistic wise Mm -hmm. for people to be seen for certain things. Um, And I'm really glad you brought the idea up of online 
creation online um, presence because something else has been really fabulous that I've even discovered because we're both teaching online now and I moved my entire studio online. I thought no one's going to want to do this, but they do. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm doing all of my voice lessons online now. And so what's really great is it's created this space for people to learn and work and collaborate with people from all over the world. And that's what I was going to mention lastly, another major lesson that this whole experience of last year has really brought to us in terms of virtual spaces, our ability to connect with people that we would never have connected before when we were in a face-to-face environment. Actually having meaningful dialogue with people on the other side of the planet in real time about the craft and what's going on in their experience versus our experience. Getting a group of people in a committee in a room that you would never have the time or the or the creative space to actually converse together. And, you know, things like Zoom uh, has really provided that opportunity for us. But also we're so hungry for that connection because we've been in quarantine for a year. Um, I, I know me, I'm picking up the phone more than I ever have. I'm not screening phone calls. I'm like, yeah, I want to talk to you. I want to have a meaningful dialogue about things with you. Well, and I think the idea that Zoom is the new Google now, right? Mm -hmm. I'll Zoom you. Let's Zoom Mm -hmm. you. I have people all the time that say, hey, I want to reach out to you. Can I have a console about something? Can I just, can we just Zoom really quickly for 10 minutes? When when it becomes a verb, that means (laughs) you've made it as a business. Zoom. I'm going to Google you. I'm going to Zoom you. (laughs) But I think it has really shifted everything. I mean, even a couple nights ago, I was in an interview with um, a lovely gentleman from India. Mm -hmm. And before I would have been really hesitant about it because you know, not, nothing against him and not at all, but, oh, is, should I do this? Should I not? And now it's so common. It's so common to send someone a voice memo on Instagram that you don't know that you're, you know, been introduced to, or send someone a quick video or a quick loom to someone. And that's why I'm really excited this season to bring back, uh, or to, to, to go onto the clubhouse to, to engage in a post-show discussion, because I think there's an opportunity for that human connection. If people have some really passionate thoughts about some of the content that we're providing, they can actually join us in our, in our room and we can have conversation about some of the topics we're discussing in that week's uh, episode. Absolutely. And so all you have to do is go over to Clubhouse, find Timur or myself, and then you will always see the event. It'll be the end of the week and it will specifically be focused around that Monday's podcast that is going to be dropped. So feel free to jump in. We would love to hear from you. We're going to speak a little bit more about this topic. And then we're actually going to ask what lessons you have learned. What lessons um, do you think are moving forward? What lessons are not moving forward? What are you taking away from this year? So definitely join us if you're listening to this the week that it drops. And if you're not listening to the week that it drops, then um, catch us in the next one the following week. You can always find that on Clubhouse. Well, I think that was a great conversation. I can't wait to continue with everybody in Clubhouse. But let's take it back to the puzzler. Tim, what is the answer? Everybody's been thinking about it for the last 20 minutes. Okay, so let's set up the question one more time. Puzzler is, what Puerto Rican American entertainer, performer, producer, and club owner starred in the 1939 music Broadway musical Too Many Girls opposite Desi Arnaz? And I'll give you the additional little clue. Uh, music by Richard Rogers and lyrics by Lorenz Hart. And the answer is... Diosa Costello. Oh, tell me, tell us a little bit about okay. her. So her formal name is Juana de Dios Castrello, uh, better known as Diosa Costello. Yes, she's Puerto Rican-American entertainer. Wonderful. She's a performer, producer, club owner. Um, she was often referred to at the time as the Latin bombshell. 
She is considered the first Latina to ever perform in a Broadway musical, obviously opposite uh, Cuban performer, musician, Desi Arnaz. Right. Um, A little interesting note about her. She was actually asked to participate in the 1940 film adaptation of Too Many Girls, but she turned it down because she didn't want to she didn't want to live in L.A. The Hollywood (laughs) life was not for her. She loved being uh, on the East Coast. but she would also, a nightclub uh, owner and performer, uh, performed all over Spanish Harlem throughout the uh, 30s and the earliest part of the 40s. Um, but yeah, it just really, she's a really, really interesting, fascinating person from the Latinx community. And um, I thought we'd just take a moment to celebrate her life and her contributions to this craft. Wonderful. All right, everyone. We will catch you next week. Bye, everyone. Bye.